Mary's room. I have a special room in our house where I go to pray. Well, actually the room isn't in our house, but is a little 10 by 10 casita or bonus room, completely detached from the house, located just across our tiny patio. It has French doors with gathered sheer curtains at one end, a small sunny window at the opposite end, an aging wall heater for winter, no air conditioning during summer. All the middle townhouses in the 45 rows of our development have this same bonus room, and residents use it for a wide variety of purposes. Our quilter neighbor, Doreen, uses hers as a hobby room. Ruth, across the sidewalk, turned hers into an exercise room with just enough space for a treadmill and rowing machine. Ben, as well as another neighbor, Dave, knocked out the common wall that runs along the garage to extend their garage space into the room with tool benches and space for motorcycles. While others use theirs as an office, an extra bedroom or storage, ours has evolved into a meditation prayer room of sorts for just me, though it didn't start off that way when we moved in four years ago. Margaret, the woman who owned our townhouse before us, used our bonus room as a workout room. Beige carpet covers the floor and easily tracks in dirt when stepping in from the cement patio. Dull paint matching the carpet was drugged carelessly across the walls, and after Margaret moved out, the walls revealed deep scratches and black scruffs. The room felt unappreciated. For the first year, we used it as overflow storage for boxes full of just stuff and furniture that refused to fit into our downsized new home. The extra space was needed at the time for everything we didn't want in the house. Clay flower pots still half filled with dead plants, dirt, and rocks. Hefty hiking boots that took up too much room in the narrow living room closet. Grilling accessories. Christmas ornaments. But we soon adjusted to the move and slowly incorporated and got rid of those extra things. And the room was again empty. And for the longest time, I couldn't stop thinking about what to do with it. Off and on, I thought about the room before I went to sleep at night or stood for brief moments in the center of its emptiness, waiting for inspiration. I wondered of its potential. What should we make of this unique bonus gift? Its blank canvas called to me at times to come break away from the house of high echoing ceilings and TVs to just come and be. When shut off in there by myself, this closed off space and I began a simple relationship of sorts. I'd stretch out on my back on the empty floor, hands clasped behind my head, and stare at the perfectly square ceiling. I began to feel connected to something, but didn't know what. Since my husband was uninterested in giving the room any attention or thought at all, I claimed the room, and it became mine. Sitting in the corner one night after work, I recalled how when my siblings and I were young children in the turbulent 1960s, we'd escape into forts that we built out of cardboard boxes stacked in our backyard. Our family owned a furniture store located next door, and we'd spend long summer days transforming discarded new chair and sofa boxes 
into one and two story houses that we could curl up in and play. We sawed windows and doors into the sides with kitchen knives, glued magazine pictures we liked onto the walls, lined the floors with carpet samples from next door, and drug our blankets and pillows downstairs from our beds. Neighbor friends often came knocking on the flimsy doors demanding entry. We were all drawn to the intimate coziness and quietness the forts provided, shut off a world away from the broadcast nightly news of war, violence, protests, hippies, drugs. The forts came specially child-sized just for us, no adults or real-world problems allowed. Contemplating a creative solution to the unique room, I thought about the forts and how they made me feel when I was in them. I got in touch with my eight-year-old self again and decided to turn this adult space into a groovy, cool escape from the crazy post-2016 election world that again consumed the nightly news with violence, protests, madness. The room would be a world away that I could run barefoot to again, crawl into its closeness, safe and protected. I started with fresh paint on the walls, decided on a beautiful blue that matches the late afternoon Colorado sky. Then came a white daybed that my friend Maggie needed to get rid of, and I covered it with blue and white print decorative pillows. Soon after that came the lamps and candles, including the candle I'd been saving from my sister Molly, left as a surprise after they visited two years ago. A potted plant, a wicker coffee table picked up at a, a now-closed antique consignment store in Denver. Many of the things were given to me by someone that I love, family, mostly sisters and friends, which created a lovely, soulful vibe. There's my late mother-in-law Colleen's small porcelain white Irish embossed vase that sits near the window, and I think of her. A gift from my friend Annette are three paisley LED paper stars floating on transparent fishing line from the ceiling above. A framed piece of artwork hangs just inside the French doors of a colorful stick woman floating like a cloud inside an upside-down umbrella. A calligraphy caption on the bottom reads, If you hold on to the handle, she said, it's easier to maintain the illusion of control, but it's more fun if you just let the wind carry you. That was given to me by a friend who was encouraging me to let go of some of the things in my life that were uncontrollable. A Himalayan salt rock lamp, a Reiki banner showing the seven chakra symbols that I use when I practice my Reiki and meditator there. There are a few items from my mother like the antique tin for tea and a small wooden 70 style Madonna with child once sold at the furniture store. I brought in the little statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary that belonged to my grandmother, the head glued back on some 50 years ago. I hang rosaries around her robed shoulders and put a single drop of lilac oil on her feet before I pray. It was our responsibility as children to take wild bouquets of deep purple and white lilacs from our yard 
to place at the feet of the life-size statue of her that stood on the landing at All Saints Catholic School, where we attended. Books, more candles, Alexa for music. Hanging in the window at various lengths are ten hand-hammered copper aspen leaves that dance and bang together like wind chimes whenever there's a breeze. There are a handful of small clay and glazed bowls made by my youngest son in high school, and his hand calligraphied red ink on pure cream-folded cardstock that he mailed to me from college. Mom, you have lived such a selfless and loving life, and I admire you for your strength and optimism. You've always been there for me unconditionally. You're such a wonderful mother, and I love you so much. Happy birthday. When I hold it carefully and read it, it reminds me that children do survive divorce and that sometimes it's obvious the exact moment when they became an adult. My husband, Tim, rarely enters the room, and even when he does appear at the door, it's because he needs something or has a question. He seems uncomfortable, as if he thinks he isn't welcome, like parents standing too tall to squeeze in through cardboard-cut front doors. I imagine it's hard for him to understand what that space means to me now. How far away I feel here in Denver from my family and friends back home in Iowa during COVID. How I slowly, unconsciously filled the room with things that remind me of them. How intentionally I bring to it all my worries, anxieties, and the really good and bad days. And that in return, it holds me close and whispers in holy quietness, it's going to be okay. Take a deep, long breath. Exhale. Relax. Stay as long as you need. Ask Mary to help you. Give it to God. Be grateful. From my walk-in closet, this is Mary. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned.